Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the OSHA 3030 with Manish Rath. I'm Manish Rath, and I'm thankful to all of you for uh, participating in yet another episode of the OSHA 3030. We've been doing this for somewhere around seven years, so somewhere in the 70s for the number of episodes we've done. And, uh, and for those of you who haven't dialed in, I'll give you a minute here with the phone number and access code to make sure you get a chance to dial in. Uh, let me start by introducing myself. My name is Manish Rath, and I'm a partner here at Keller and Heckman in Washington, D.C., and what we do is regulatory law, including occupational safety and health law, which is what I do. And I'm joined today by one of the other members of our OSHA law team, Javane Nakumaram, who's been participating in the OSHA 3030 with me off and on for a f- uh, few years, along with our other colleagues, John Gustafson, David Servati, Larry Halpern, whom many or all of you already know. Javane, thank you very much for joining us at today's OSHA 3030. Thanks. Thank you, Manish. It's great to be here. Well, as many of you in the OSHA 3030 community know, we've been librarying all of our prior OSHA 3030 episodes on our website, khlaw.com, and you can find them at khlaw.com slash OSHA 3030. And what you may also know is that this is also rebroadcast for the past couple of years as a podcast so that you don't have to be at your desk. The the slides that are libraried on our website are terrific because the sound recording for today, as well as the slides, automatically self-execute, and you just get a running slide presentation with voice. And the podcast is the voice only, which we try and make self-standing so that you can just take it on the go with you. I listen to it in my car on the ride in, uh, and I think that that's a helpful product. When you listen to the podcast, please don't forget to like or rate the OSHA 3030 on your podcast channel so that others can find it more easily. The other thing I'd say is when you get an invitation by email, many of you already know, and you've heard me say this once or twice before, uh, please forward it on to three others in the safety and health community, particularly safety and health professionals or in-house counsel at your organization or other organizations if they're responsible for OSHA law compliance or would, would benefit in any way from these programs. So with that said, we've got a really important topic to cover. OSHA in December published uh, an announcement that it was bringing back a program of old, the site-specific targeting program. And I think that this is of incredible importance and practical importance to you, members of the OSHA 3030 community. So let's real quickly talk about what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I think it will be important first to discuss uh, give you a background of OSHA's site-specific targeting program, uh, and then we'll give an overview of this new announcement uh, called SST-16. Uh, I think relating to the fact that this particular site-specific targeting initiative will, will relate to the data that employers posted uh, relating to 2016 injury and illness uh, experiences, and uh, then we're going to get into the use of the electronically submitted data that employers uh, have, have posted up and how OSHA will use it to, to target employers for inspections in the year 2019. And finally, as we always do, we'll leave you with practical takeaway items uh, in a slide that we always leave for the last what employers should do. So with that said, why don't we first start with a background uh, on OSHA's site-specific targeting program. Javanay, should I start with that? Sounds great, Manish. Okay. 
Well, this is a program that had been around for a long time, and it was discontinued in 2014. So the last data that OSHA would have used would have been data from maybe 2011 or 12, and they last used it in 2014. And then they, they discontinued the program. But essentially, as many of you may recollect from other OSHA 3030 programs, there are about four ways that OSHA can conduct an inspection of your facility. Uh, the first, and in no particular order, an employee might bring a complaint, and those are complaint-based inspections. Another, you may self-report based on a fatality or what they call a catastrophe, which may also include amputations or uh, eye injuries and would include hospitalization for treatment. Uh, the second could, the third could be a programmed inspection, which means mainly just the, there's a random inspection going on and random selection of establishments and your facility got picked. The fourth may be an emphasis program, like a national emphasis program or a, a local emphasis, regional emphasis program. And we talked about that in the December uh, OSHA 3030 just last month. Uh, finally, going back to programmed inspections, they may elevate a high-priority list up until 2014 and now, which they've revived, they may have a high-priority list called the site-specific targeting program, which they're supposed to go to first if they don't have anything else going on or they have a little bit of extra uh, manpower, they will turn to their site-specific targeting program. This is a program that they had basically used to uh, figure out who are the high-risk uh, employers or establishments based on data collected through the OSHA data initiative or ODI. And the ODI was self-supplied by employers and they gathered days away uh, data and if the days away data or the DART rate for an establishment was higher than the national average of about 1.8 at the time, then the, the, the agency might place that establishment on the site-specific targeting list. That number, or what the DART rate would would be to sufficient to get on the site-specific targeting list, really depended on on what the average was and how far, how many deviations from the national average an establishment was in that year. So it's a slightly moving number, but it was about 2.0. A DART rate of about 2.0 or greater would have been certainly enough for OSHA to issue what was called a DART letter notifying an employer that that establishment was above the national average. Uh, that may depend on industry. Uh, so the national average varies from, from industry to industry. Uh, but then after that, there, and, and after that, if an employer received a DART letter, that doesn't necessarily mean that they would receive, they would be placed on the site-specific targeting list. But after that, the OSHA may decide that it was uh, high enough DART rates to merit inclusion on the site-specific targeting list. From there, if an employer found an establishment on the site-specific targeting list, it might see a substantially increased likelihood that that establishment would be inspected as opposed to mere programmed or random inspections. To give you an idea, about 80,000 establishments were surveyed for under the uh, OSHA Data Initiative Plan, or ODI, and about 15,000 were uh, found themselves with DART rates above 2.0. Uh, from there, you might see about 25, it depended on the year, 2,500 placed on the site-specific targeting list. I, I've seen numbers as high as, just, just by recollection, so I could be recollecting it correctly, as high as 11,000. And then a majority of those would have been a high likelihood of actually being inspected. 
Uh, to put this in context, there are about 40,000 inspections, OSHA inspections, annually. And that's going back to 2007 data. They, they don't change too terribly much from year to year, but from, from somewhere around 26 to 40,000 inspections per year. And uh, that's federal, and another 57,000 in 2007 at the state level for state plan states. Javanese, as you know, our practice is seamless in state plan states. Uh, federal OSHA states, and many employers who have facilities in both. Uh, when OSHA conducts an inspection at the federal level, they claim that about 75% of all establishments inspected, will res- uh, those inspections will result in a citation. So that I, I, those number, that's a lot of numbers for you, but that tries to, I, what I'm trying to do is give you some context for how important site-specific targeting is to you. Uh, I think the upshot in one sentence if you're, you have an establishment that's going to make it to the site-specific targeting list, you have a much higher chance of being inspected in 2019. And being inspected, you have a 75% chance of receiving at least one citation from that inspection. I think it's even higher if it's a site-specific targeting-based inspection rather than random. So with that said, let's talk a little bit more about this year's new Uh, newly revived site-specific targeting program. So earlier last year, so in October of 2018, OSHA's uh, Directorate of Enforcement Programs, they published a notice called Site-Specific Targeting 2016 or SST-16. So this notice expires within a year of the effective date. Uh, The notice officially implements the SST inspection program and uh, this time they're going to use electronically submitted OSHA injury and illness data from the form 300A for the calendar year uh, 2016. As a reminder, the form 300A is a summary of work-related injuries and illnesses. So the SST program, it uh, it's really important to um, to clarify that this only applies to non-construction workplaces, so the general industry, and it only applies to employers with 20 or more employees. So recall that under the OSHA injury and illness uh, electronic reporting rule, only employers with 20 or more employees were subject to the rule. So this SST is consistent with that. So the SST, it's going to focus its resources on high injury rate establishments. And OSHA will determine what establishments those are based on the injury and illness data uh, that employers submitted electronically to OSHA for the calendar year 2016. And so uh, people who submitted pursuant to the rulemaking this data, a lot of people were wondering, how is this data going to be used by OSHA? OSHA had contemplated putting this information on a public website. That was one of the possibilities. But this was another concern from employers that this data submitted electronically to OSHA was going to be used for inspection targeting. So, yeah, that's a great point, Javane. Uh, And... What we have on the slide for those participating in the webinar is a, a copy of the Form 300. Right. So the Form 300A, we just wanted to show people what information Form 300A asks for. Um, because it's a summary, uh, it doesn't ask for an extensive log or a, a narrative about each injury or illness. It just asks for the numbers. And so it doesn't ask for a lot of information besides the total number of cases within the year, including the number of deaths, cases with days away from work, cases with job transfer or restriction, and other recordable cases. It also asks for the number of days away from work, the number of days of job transfer or restriction, and finally it asks for the injury and illness type. 
So this limited amount of information is what OSHA is going to be using to determine who the high risk establishments are. And so I, I also think it's important to remind everyone, since OSHA is relying on the Form 300A data, uh, to remind people about the improved tracking of workplace injury and illness rulemaking. Uh, so what was due in 2016, or what was due in terms of uh, 2016 data. So OSHA, uh, with its rulemaking, it required that data from the OSHA 300A summary be submitted to OSHA for calendar year 2016, and uh, the rule it applied to employers with 20, uh, at least 20 to 249 employee, or yeah, 249 employees at any time during uh, during the year in certain high hazard industries. The rule also applied to employers with 250 or more employees in covered industries. And so this information was due through the um, OSHA ITA portal website by uh, December 15th, 2017, as part of the final rule. And uh, OSHA actually did uh, offer a, a short extension to December 31st for people to submit this data. And to be clear, Javine, people had to submit 2016 data by, by December of 2017. That's right, that's right. And so uh, as part of the uh, requirements of the rule, uh, people had to use this online portal and upload the 300-day data electronically. OSHA received about 214,000 submissions. However, OSHA did express concerns that more than a third of workplaces failed to submit reports by this deadline. So part of this SST is to, it also demonstrates the concern from OSHA that establishments did not submit their form uh, 300-day information in compliance with the rule. So, by the way, let me uh, stop and say that one person has posted a question, a very good question, uh, and and you may post questions on the lower left side of your screen for those of you participating by webinar. But one of them is uh, right now we're in the middle of uh, a government shutdown uh, in as a result of uh, a debate between uh, the White House and Congress, and uh, and the question that's been asked is how is that shutdown? affected OSHA specifically when it comes to site inspections? That's a great question. Uh, The first thing I'd say to you is there's a myth, I think, that every single person in the federal government has been furloughed as a consequence of this shutdown or that only essential uh, divisions or agencies like TSA at the airports have been directed to go back to work. And it's it's a unusual uh, kind of phenomenon where certain divisions or agencies that you would have thought are not uh, essential during a government shutdown. Uh, Some people have been working and some haven't. For example, at the Department of Labor, there are some inspectors who are working in all the divisions, including Wage Hour Division and OSHA, and it has to do with funding, etc. So I can't tell you uniformly that all of the OSHA compliance safety and health officers have been affected by the shutdown. It may be that some of them are still working on their inspections, maybe not in the field, some have been in the field, and in any event, certainly remember that half the states are state plan states, and so those those uh, state plan states certainly are up and running. Uh, so I think that this is a very unusual situation where I don't think you can guarantee or uh, feel comfortable that you're just not going to be inspected even in a federal state, OSHA state, uh, during the government shutdown. Uh, in any event, we're right now January 16th, and there's talk that the shutdown could end within a week. So so I think that your compliance program and your preparation for the potential for inspections to resume uh, is, is something that you've got to keep uh, vigilant. 
Chavane? Um, also, we wanted to take another question. Uh, so one question is, where is the list of high hazard industries? And so I believe that's referring to the list of high hazard industries that are subject to the record keeping rule if they are um, at, if they fall in the range of 20 to 249 employees. So that list is actually posted on OSHA's website on its record keeping page. Um, it's referenced by the final rule. And so if you go to OSHA's website, they actually have an enumerated list based on NAICS code of the high hazard industries. Yeah, that's a great question because the term high hazard industries appears in a couple of occasions in OSHA law. And Javane, you're quite right. This would refer to the high hazard industries as described in, in the uh, record keep, electronic record keeping. So with that said, uh, Let's go ahead. Oh, we have somebody who's also chimed in with a great answer to the question about the government shutdown and pointed out that Department of Labor funds were approved back in September, so they're not part of the partial shutdown. And that, by the way, explains my point that some Department of Labor inspectors are still working because they're part of the budget that, that is still, still uh, that is already in effect and been approved and so not subject to the budget renewal process that was uh, that was affected by the shutdown great catch and thank you for giving that additional fact that helped explain why uh, inspections across several department of labor agencies including osha are still up and running so let's keep moving uh now the the site-specific targeting plan that was just uh, published last month uh, they they plan to select establishments, as, as Javane, you pointed out, based on the data that's been uploaded from Form 300A by employers for 2016 data. And from there, OSHA intends to develop its site-specific targeting list. And as we talked about before, they intend to do so based on the DART rates, the days away and restricted uh, or transferred rate. They haven't told us, unlike in, in the prior version of site-specific targeting, they haven't told us what the DART rate will be that would be sufficient to get an establishment on the site-specific targeting list. They have said, however, that they'll try and divide the DART rate-based establishments 50% and 50% based on manufacturing and non-manufacturing. Keep in mind, however, that this is all, in any event, non-construction, so general industry mostly. Uh, so, so of general industry, non-construction, uh, uh, 50% from manufacturing and 50% from non-manufacturing. But what that DART rate would be, I think that what they intend to do is adjust it and keep moving it up so that the total number on the list is a number that they can manage to actually inspect in the course of the year. Uh, they will, in addition to DART rate-based inclusion on the list, they will also include some fraction of establishments who failed to comply with the requirement to post data in 2016. So those who were required to submit 300A data in 2016 and did not have a chance of, through random sampling, of making it onto the site-specific targeting list. Then the third cohort that will make it to the list is a selection of establishments that actually have a low DART rate that would not be included in the site-specific targeting list because they had a low DART rate. And I think that the thinking there is to try and validate whether or not self-reporting is resulting in accurate self-reporting of DART rates. 
And so, so they, if they randomly sample those with low DART rates, they will get a sense of whether or not there is any under-reporting and perhaps the extent of under-reporting. Uh, so I think that's the purpose of that third group that OSHA intends to include in its site-specific targeting list. So now that we know how these uh, inspection targeting lists are created, I think it's also important to discuss how an establishment can be removed from the list as the, as the, um, the cycle, the inspection cycle is going on. So first of all, the SST program, uh, OSHA makes clear that uh, area offices, they have to inspect all establishments on the inspection list unless the regional administrator authorizes the area office to conduct fewer inspections from the list, depending on their resources. Like, for example, if they want to devote more resources towards an emphasis program, then they may inspect fewer. Um, OSHA, uh, and, and so to get into what types of establishments can remove themselves from the list, OSHA explains certain criteria that if an establishment meets it, then um, OSHA may delete them. So first, uh, OSHA can delete an establishment from the inspection list if it's received a comprehensive safety and health inspection within 36 months of the creation of the current inspection cycle. So the establishment's uh, comprehensive, comprehensive inspection date, that's the date of the opening conference. And so that's important to know when you're calculating the 36 months. Uh, OSHA can also delete any public sector employers, including federal, state, or local government. Um, also, if an establishment is an approved participant in OSHA's Voluntary Protection Programs, or VPP, or if it's an approved participant in the Pre-Safety and Health Achievement Recognition Program, or SHARP, then it can also be deleted from the inspection list. Uh, also, importantly, uh, the SST is not intended to include establishments that are what we call office-only environments. Uh, and then finally, OSHA clarifies that uh, establishments that are part of the Severe Violators Enforcement Program, they are not eligible to be deferred or deleted from the inspection list. Yeah, that's an important point. Uh, but I, I think it's safe to say that uh, the, the VPP and the SHARP exceptions uh, or deletions are sort of not of much consequence, but I believe that it is likely that an active participant in VPP uh, is more likely to have a lower than average DART rate. And uh, conversely, I would say that the whole point of the Severe Violators Enforcement Program is that OSHA wants to be able to increase its oversight of those organizations. And so uh, I don't know that inclusion on the site-specific targeting list substantially increases an establishment's likelihood of inspection if they're already on the SVP list. Uh, well, with that said, uh, I think that this is, oh, and by the way, we have yet another question uh, that's been posted by, in the lower left-hand corner by one of our members of our OSHA 3030 community. The question is, well, how does this all relate to or not relates to the national emphasis programs? Is it replacing it? What a great question, because it gives us an opportunity to try and put in context exactly what you've been talking about, Javane. Uh, I think that the, the matrix that, that I described at the beginning of opportunities for OSHA to come into an establishment and conduct an inspection is still the same with the addition of this 
this site-specific targeting list. So you still have complaint-based inspections. You still have fatality and catastrophe self-reported events that may result in an inspection. You still have random inspections, uh, national emphasis and regional emphasis program-based inspections, which we talked about last month. By the way, the person who asked this and anyone else who did not catch the December program, I urge you to listen to it as a podcast. It's still available. And I think it's going to be really important, especially in locking down in your mind the different types of inspections and what your defenses will be uh, to the various types of inspections. And then now this new uh, inspection type, the site-specific targeting list, uh, a based inspection, which we had seen in the past uh, before 2014, and which we had foretold of when OSHA started this electronic re- uh, reporting of injury and illness data a few years ago. And if you look back at our, our OSHA 3030 programs about the electronic reporting, there's two or three of them on our on our website that we've covered, where we've covered this topic, uh, we forecast that, that that is obviously why, or in part why OSHA wanted electronic reporting, so that they can electronically uh, analyze the data and identify in later years the establishments that they thought would be high priorities for inspection. And here we are. That's precisely what we're announcing in today's OSHA 3030, that OSHA has said we're now going to take the 2016 electronically reported data, electronically analyze it to try and figure out who would be our high priority list for inspections. And so it's a great question you've asked. uh, And the answer, in short, it doesn't do anything to eradicate the national emphasis programs. Those are still there. You've got to listen to the OSHA 3030 program from last month, either on our website or as a podcast, and come to your own conclusions about what defenses to raise in those cases. And now you will be subject, potentially, depending on your DART rates, to inclusion in the site-specific targeting list. So with that said, let's wrap up, Javanay, as we always do, with a practical takeaway discussion uh, of takeaway items that... that those listening in the OSHA 3030 community can go back to their offices and figure out what practically they can do with this knowledge. Well, we now know that OSHA will place employers based on their DART rates onto the site-specific targeting list to to increase the chance that those people will get an inspection, will get a visit from an OSHA compliance safety and health officer in 2019. And uh, so I think that the first thing that employers ought to do is to take a look at their DART rates for 2016. And in taking a look at your 2016 DART rates, uh, I think it's also important to look at whether or not there are certain patterns that might emerge. For example, do you have days away or restricted or transferred that are emanating uh, as a pattern from a particular type of hazard or a particular type of machinery or a particular practice or area of your establishment? And if patterns emerge, that might be a, uh, a cue for where to target uh, greater compliance in your safety and health, in internal compliance for your safety and health program, and you might uh, be able to move things up your to-do list for where to address uh, practices, protocols, or uh, machinery, etc., for improving safety in those parts of your operations. Uh, the other, I think, obviously, if there are establishments that are participating in VPP or SHARP, uh, then you might identify how to identify high DART rate establishments that might possibly be deleted from the uh, SST, the site-specific targeting list. Uh, But I think much more importantly, uh, when you have identified what your 2016 data looks like, you, you now have also an opportunity to identify whether or not 
you have an increased opportunity for an inspection. And there, in those establishments, you have a chance to start preparing your staff for how and giving them training on how to handle inspections from government uh, inspection officials. Uh, in this case, uh, an OSHA compliance safety and health officer. And that training uh, for your HR folk, for your plant manager, for your safety and health professional, for the people who are the first in line to greet visitors, like your security guard or your receptionist, is going to be an incredibly important part of your program if you believe that you have a high likelihood of getting onto the site-specific targeting list. Next, I'd say when the site-specific targeting list is put out, take a look at it. Look for, it's an extensive list. I mean, thousands of names, but take a look at it to find your establishments to see if you've made the list. Uh, then, of course, if you're on the list, there's no doubt you've got to quickly engage in training for your uh, folk who would be participating in an inspection, and you've got to look back at the data, and you've got to possibly do an on-site safety and health audit. Uh, there are outside consultants who can do great safety and health audits. We do safety and health audits. Javanet, you and I prepared a um, over a hundred, maybe a, a few hundred question audit that we perform for our clients. Right. And uh, I think that that has been very effective in providing client service. Uh, and, and any one of you are welcome to reach out to us if you want to learn more about that product. Uh, but there are other products out there. Uh, certainly, and and you ought to consider the, the, those outside audits, particularly under the auspices of uh, of your outside safety and health attorney. We're doing one where we're not actually conducting the on-site safety and health audit as we sometimes do, but in this case, we're not. We're merely uh, directing an outside consulting firm to do it so that the the attorney-client privilege is preserved for the data that comes back from that audit. And that's really the key part because your audits are discoverable by OSHA. And I've been in those debates with OSHA as to whether or not safety and health audits can be discovered or should be discovered from by them in discovery. Uh, and so you ought to take careful consideration when you do your own internal audits uh, of the implications of whether or not OSHA can access that, that audit and the audit results. Uh, finally, I think you've also got to do all of these uh, things in your state plan states as well and determine whether or not you are operating establishments in state plan states and whether or not they have something equivalent to the federal state-specific targeting program, whether they seek days away restricted, uh, whether where they seek DART rates and whether or not they have something similar that's being used to cull and gather and analyze DART rates on an establishment-by-establishment establishment basis. Finally. I think it's safe to say that the reporting deadline coming up, March 2, 2019, for 2018 data is really critical to keep your eyes on because that's coming up right around the corner. And uh, if you have multiple establishments, that could be a time-consuming process where you want to start gathering the data now so that you can just get it ready for uploading rather quicker than, uh, than if you were caught on March 1 at the last minute. Uh, so, so keep your eye out for the publication of the site-specific uh, targeting list, list of establishments. We, we will be monitoring for that ourselves. And if you want to know when or what the date is that we expect that list to be published, reach out to us. We'll, we'll be keeping an eye on it ourselves and can, can uh, let you know if you, if you have an interest in it. Well, with that said, uh, you can catch more updates in the field of occupational safety and health law on our Twitter account, at Rathmonish. Please join up. Uh, many of you see that slide every month and haven't uh, linked in. 
Uh, it's not a very active account on account of that. Listen into the OSHA 3030 as a podcast and share the podcast address with your mates uh, inside your company and elsewhere. And make sure you like or rate the OSHA 3030 podcast on your favorite podcast streaming channel. I use iTunes for, uh, I use the Apple uh, podcast app for podcasts and uh, there's an opportunity to, to rate or like like a podcast. Uh, and then uh, link in with us uh, on all of our LinkedIn pages, Manish Rath, David Cervati, Larry Halpern, Javane Nukumaram, who's joined us today, John Gustafson, and the firm's Workplace Safety and Health LinkedIn page. Uh, this program, the OSHA 3030, will come back to you on Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, February 27th, 2019. And you can, you'll get an invitation in your email. And remember to forward that to three others inside and at other, inside your organization and at other organizations for in-house counsel or safety and health professionals interested in the program. Uh, our sister programs here at Keller & Heckman relating to TSCA, REACH, and FIFRA, uh, the TSCA 3030, REACH 3030, and FIFRA 3030, uh, have information about their dates at khlaw.com as well. And if your organization uh, is affected by those statutory uh, concepts, then you, you had uh, uh, better check out those dates for those programs at khlaw.com. Uh, with that said, thank you all in the OSHA 3030 community for participating in this OSHA 3030. Javane Nakumaram, thank you very much for joining me uh, in today's OSHA 3030. And I look forward to joining you all in one month. And until then, stay safe.